Wow, what an episode that was, Joel. Um, we just got off um, speaking with Knut, um, and it was a fascinating talk. Wow, I'm pumped up, Joel, after that. The one thing I had was uh, our categories on Apple Podcasts, I'm getting now technical, are philosophy, culture, and I think personal stories, right. something along those lines. You can choose up to like three categories and subcategories. And I thought the whole time, this is the perfect episode to describe this, because what I find brilliant about Knut is he is a maxi. So he's a proper Bitcoin maxi, but he's not a toxic one. He's not. And, and what I mean, guys, by toxic is he's not judging people online. He's not like bashing them. Yeah. He's not saying go fuck yourself and all this sort of stuff. Absolutely not. No. Exactly. He, he likes the F-bomb. I like that. <laughs> he dropped it a few times. Um, but he's authentic. And he's like, if you are part of Bitcoin, um, he said it in the end, go to a Bitcoin meetup. You'll know that everyone will have an intellectual advance uh, compared to like normies. And you'll just get along. And I feel like this is what this episode was about. It was quite high level, uh, very detailed, but it was just fucking great that's the only thing i can say to him. yeah no it was it was fascinating and, and we got an exclusive readout on on, the, on a, a book that he's currently writing on um praxeology which was fascinating and mind-blowing all at the same time and it's something now i'll need to actually go away and read about because my understanding of praxeology is something about the theory of human action based on um engagement and purposeful behavior and that's pretty much my limited understanding of it but he's he, he read out a nice sort of paragraph for us which i'm very grateful that he did do that um well so we we even spoke about existentialism and having an existential crisis mm -hmm. um which related back to his book in and talking about morality and time mate I, I don't know where to begin it was a fascinating fascinating chat yeah, we even covered how how people who embrace inflation are actually con artists because they hate death and there's a connection there. So like, it was great on all fronts and um, I really appreciate right. appreciate Knut's time because like we had to move the interview a bit and it was it was getting quite late. I was worried that we might have to cut it short, but um, he, he kept on going. I loved the rants he had. He even apologized halfway through. So uh, that was that was quite cute as well. So. Um, it was just amazing yeah yeah no and the fact that bitcoin as well is more than just actually bitcoin um like bitcoin is everything um because that's the foundation and everything on top of bitcoin it's us talking about bitcoin is bitcoin brilliant so just enjoy kick back guys take a cup of tea and uh, have fun listening into Knut. Good day, everybody. Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Stories. It's Ian here. And uh, with me, I've got Joelle, uh, my usual co-host. And today we've got a special guest. And it's, uh, well, I'll let you introduce yourself, shall I? Who have we got here today? Oh, you want me to introduce myself? <laughs> I'm, I'm Knut Zornum. I'm a guy in my mid-40s writing books about Bitcoin and... Uh, I wrote a couple of books about Bitcoin, and at the moment I'm writing a book about praxeology uh, and doing a bunch of other stuff in the Bitcoin space. Uh, I'm uh, on the governance board for the Free Madeira organization, which is a nonprofit trying to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization on the island of Madeira. And I'm uh, an advisor for the Orange Pill app, and I'm making a course on the Emeralize platform and a bunch of bunch of other things. And I'm doing a bit of a world tour 
here this spring. I'm going to a bunch of conferences, uh, beginning with, yeah, going back to Madeira in February. And then uh, in March, it looks like I might be going to Poland. <laughs> and then in April, I'm going to Sydney, Australia, and uh, uh, Stuttgart, I believe, Germany. And in May, I'm going to Miami. It looks like I'm going to Miami. Uh, not finalized yet, but it seems so. And in June, I'm going to Prague for the B2C Prague conference. So a, a, a busy spring. Wow. Uh, You've got a busy schedule ahead. The world <laughs> yeah, tour yeah. of Knut, huh? And then there's the fall <laughs> coming as well, where with uh, all the usual suspect conferences there, uh, Riga and... Uh, Amsterdam and and if that if that's a thing this year uh, and w whatever other conferences uh, come on my radar uh, yeah we'll we'll see we'll see what happens um, excited for all of it of course uh, and it's nice to be out of the fiat uh, rat race and doing Bitcoin full time and just you know hopping on to whatever seems interesting at the moment and trying to do do something good uh, and provide people with value where where i can that's brilliant and thank you for that um eloquent introduction to who you are and the work that you do and again thank you for the hard work that you do in the bitcoin space it's very much appreciated and thank you for joining us here at rabbit hole stories um and what we're interested in, Kunut, is is just understanding a little bit about um, your rabbit hole story. And um, what we're intrigued about on this show is just trying to chat to people and figure out um, how they got into Bitcoin and why they decided to stay and hang around in the space. Um, so I, I guess it's a good place to start. Um, uh, and I think my question will kick off will kick off with today is um, what is your Bitcoin origin story? Uh, I get that question a lot. And the thing is, I don't really remember a specific starting point. Uh, but I guess in the uh, maybe around 2014 or something, I, 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 uh, or, or, or maybe even earlier than that, I uh, heard about, first heard about it and developed an interest in it. And like everyone else uh, around that time, I watched a lot of Andreas Antonopoulos videos mainly. And uh, um, <clears throat> I've always been sort of liberty-minded and uh, liking the ideas of uh, free markets and uh, personal liberty, uh, free speech and so on. Uh, but then I, I heard about this thing uh, that was money on the internet that couldn't be replicated and it intrigued me a lot because at the time I was working on a tall ship uh, with high school students on board. So sailing around the, the Atlantic Ocean with uh, high school students and visiting a lot of different countries. And uh, even before that, I, I've been traveling quite a lot. Uh, even as a child, we used to live in Africa a couple of times during my childhood uh, in Mozambique and Tanzania. Uh so I saw all of these different places of the different countries and uh, I've always been like fascinated by how different they were and also how, how similar they were in other senses. And all of the, um, 
you know, regular stories you hear about why the, 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 the stories you're being spoon fed about why things are the way they are, they never really seem to make sense to me. Um, and it's it wasn't really until I found Bitcoin and then subsequently uh, fell down the praxeology rabbit hole and the Austrian economics rabbit hole that I, things really started to make sense uh, and you see the world in a whole different light afterwards. So uh, I, uh, in 2016 or uh, beginning of 2017, I um, I had just read Skin in the Game by Nicholas Taleb. Nicholas Nassim Taleb, is that his old name? Uh, it's a very good book uh, that basically tell you that in order to make something of yourself you have to risk something and you have to you have to like risk your your reputation and it's about you know these all uh how our leaders in the past always like uh when there was a big battle on a field somewhere the 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 guy leading the battle the the, the leader of the pack was always in the front and that's why everyone was following that leader because they looked up to him so much because he was really leading by example. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of stuff like that in that book. And I had just finished a, an online course in digital currencies, plural form, uh, uh, at the University of Nicosia, uh, with where Andreas Antonopoulos was one of the teachers. And I passed that with flying colors. I have a bit of a background in mathematics since... Uh, uh, high school and university. I started studying electronics engineering uh, just after I finished uh, high school uh, at a university in Sweden, uh, but but dropped off, dropped out of that after one year uh, because I was so tired of school and everything. And then I started working on boats instead, and it eventually became a, a sea captain. Or that's my university degree is master mariner. Um, but where was I? I? I had finished this course and uh, I had a choice if if I was going to continue this thing uh, and uh, study the whole master's degree in uh, digital currencies, uh, which cost quite a bit of money. So I thought uh, I was thinking to myself because I had quite a, a boring job at the time. I was uh, taking, I was working as a uh, captain on a small crew transfer vessel in Denmark in Germany, taking uh, <clears throat> technicians to wind farms in the North Sea and the Baltic. <clears throat> and at this particular site, we uh, we had wing cleaners on board. And what what the wing cleaners do is that you you take them to the Early morning, you take them out like 20 minute boat ride out to to wind turbine. You drop them off and they climb climb up the nozzle of the of the turbine and then hang in ropes. Uh, they they break pull the brakes on the thing and they hang down by rope and and inspect the wing for the whole day. So so we went to another uh, me and the other guy on board just went to to another turbine and moored by that turbine and then we had 10 hours of nothing. Had a very bad internet connection, and I had some paperwork to do, and uh, you know, <laughs> checking the oil levels and whatnot, and that took like half an hour, and then I had nine and a half hours of nothing to look forward to. 
and I got bored with the games on my phone pretty quickly uh, and with a crappy internet connection like and uh, a uh, <laughs> uh, slight ADD diagnosis. Uh, well, ADD wasn't invented when I was a kid, but I suspect I have something on on the spectrum. Uh, so, uh, so I couldn't sit still. So I, I decided to start writing articles about Bitcoin um, and use this newfound knowledge to to write, you know, opinion pieces and. Uh, uh, well, all sorts of articles about uh, about Bitcoin, uh, and they quite quickly got picked up by a publication called Hacker Noon. This is in 2017, uh, uh, and one of them became sort of a semi-viral. Uh, got like seventy thousand reads or something. Uh, this was just before the Bitcoin Cash hard fork, and. I, I had read up on the subject and like uh, decided to write an article about how to take control of your own private keys because you needed to, to be in control of your keys in order to claim the Bitcoin cash and sell them as fast as possible and thereby increasing your, your stack of real Bitcoins. So that was what I was trying to do and to tell people, you know, educate people about how to do that. So that's my first like, and when 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 that got that uh, little push of attention there, I thought may, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's uh, a way for me to to put my foot in the door here before before the window of opportunity closes and and see if I can do something here because I was fascinated by mainly by Andreas Atnodopoulos and him like flying around the world, uh, going to conferences and telling people about Bitcoin. And in the back of my mind, I'm like. I wonder if I could do that one day. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so um, yeah, I wrote these articles. And when I had written uh, about 40 of them, I, I decided to compile them into a book because I've never written a book. I thought I've got enough material here for books. I just put the articles together and released a book. But after having done that, I was a bit you know, disappointed in myself because I had a book to my name, but it wasn't really a book. It was a collection of articles and most of them were like trial and error and full of grammatical errors and, you know, misspellings and stuff. I didn't have an editor. I didn't have anything. So I thought, uh, so, so in, in 2019, uh, uh, on, on New Year's Eve 2018, uh, I decided to to write a proper book about Bitcoin. And I, I promised myself as a New Year's resolution to to write a page a day for the whole year. And as you do with all New Year's re uh, resolutions, you break them after a couple of months. And I broke mine after 106 days, uh, which is when I decided that sov sovereignty through mathematics was done and uh, ready to be released to the world. And I released it first, like the first chapter on Medium and it got picked up by uh, a guy uh, who does not want to be associated with the project anymore because he didn't agree with some of the political views and whatnot. But he uh, <clears throat> offered to to help me edit the book and uh, and did uh, up until half of the last chapter. So, so I had to like <laughs> rely on myself for half the last chapter. But the rest of the book became a lot better because of the editing, of course, because... Um, when you're, uh, you know, 
not really an author and you try to write a book, you don't really know how the process works and <laughs> you just it's just trial and error, all of it. But the but I realized that if I have an editor, the book can the, the material, the final product will be become a lot better. So so uh so I was really happy about Sovereignty to Mathematics when it was actually done and released it in, I believe, June that year, or May or June that year. And of course, nobody bought it and nobody gave a shit um, until I until I brought uh, 50 copies to the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Riga 2019. And I sold 25 and gave 25 away to important people in Bitcoin. Uh, and, you know, taking lightning payments even back in 2019 and all, all fun and games. And I had a swell time there and got to know a lot of people. Um, a lot of other, you know, that are big names in Bitcoin now, but nobody knew of then except for a, a little fringe a community on on uh, on Twitter. Uh, Gigi, for instance, and and Max Hillebrand, we 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 met there, and none of us really had had a any type of following. We had like a thousand followers each, <laughs> and um, so so everything happened after that for all of us, which is very. In hindsight, very very nice to have this parallel thing going on, um, and uh, yeah, and then that book sort of took off, uh, <laughs> and uh, now it's recommended on on Hope.com, MicroStrategies uh, Bitcoin site. Uh, it's one of the first five books you see there, so I'm very proud of that. And uh, yeah, I decided to write a follow-up the, the the next year called Independence Reimagined, and that's my least famous book, book, but it has one of the most more famous quotes in it, which is the one-shot principle about how resistance to replicability not cannot be replicated. And we're we're in the midst of making a um, a rehash or a re. Uh, issue of these two books and put them putting them together into one book with a new uh, and Prince Philip has promised to write the foreword for that so we're re-releasing that in the same design as the everything divided by 21 million book so that's that's the book coming out this spring and the praxeology book I'm working on at the moment yeah later later on in the journey I I, I continued writing articles for uh, Citadel 21 magazine uh which is published by Hodlonot and Katja up in Norway. Uh, and we became very good friends as well. Uh, and uh, some of the articles were, were made into videos uh, with, I collaborate with an animator called Joni Appelberg. Uh, and in one of the articles, there was a sentence that said, imagine everything there is divided by 21 million. And uh, in the animated version of that, there, that equation uh, was the graphic for that sentence. And after that, uh, things went, things <laughs> became weird, really fucking weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's sno somewhat, somewhat snowballed. And now there's like, I have like a folder right, right. Of, uh, of everything divided by 21 million stuff from around the world. And there's a subfolder called tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like there's like 18 pictures of of people with the, the equation tattooed on somewhere on their bodies 
including side boobs and, and right. biceps and stuff like so it's uh <laughs> yeah so so uh so that, that's when when i realized that i had to write a book with that title and claim it like for <laughs> so so Absolutely, i wrote that yeah. book uh last winter we moved on to spain i i uh, this is yeah this is during covid uh the article was published on august 21st 2020 and oh, and in early august 2021 I, I, I spring of 2021 i was invited to a conference in mexico just at the end of all the covid things uh so uh, by by ugly old goat <laughs> so 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 i told my wife i i need to go to mexico to visit ugly old goat and she <laughs> gave me a look uh uh but i did uh and uh we during my time in mexico uh i realized that 821 is uh, august 21 in in the american way of of uh, uh spelling dates like that's how they uh how you put dates in america like with the month first and the day after and 821 sort of looks oh, like I see it in, on its side yeah. yes so yes. so so i decided that the 21st of august will be bitcoin infinity day <laughs> right there I, I think this is like the 3rd of august 2021 or something so i decide that there and then and announce it on tone vase trading pod and uh, with a hashtag definite uh, bitcoin infinity day and like uh, you're supposed to do something here i guess uh stack 21 times your normal daily average stack or whatever we figured out the name first and what to do later i to this day i still don't know if people know what to do on bitcoin infinity day but uh now it's a legit bitcoin holiday what well, now's the opportunity <laughs> to tell them what yeah, we should so do you're on supposed that day. to stack 21 times your normal daily daily average stack which is uh a bit too complicated maybe but anyway after after i announced it like a week after i get this uh I see this stunning video from Fractal Encrypt, whom I've. Uh, there's a story with me and Fractal Encrypt also. Uh, b before the second book, Independence Reimagined, I, I stumbled upon a video on Twitter of Fractal Encrypt's, you know, the full node statue. I guess you've seen it, the, the mm -hmm, rings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I noticed that one of the rings said sovereignty through mathematics. So I DM'd Fractal Encrypt, whom I didn't know at the time, and I told him. Do you know there's a coincidence here? You put the same words uh, uh, on your ring there as I named my book. Like it's the same phrase, and he's like, "Yeah, dude, I was listening to your book while I made the statue," <laughs> and, and my jaw dropped to the floor. Like this is so cool. I'm on that thing. Like, what the hell is this? So that's that's when I uh, that's amazing. I I then got to use that thing for the cover of the second book. Uh, with fractal's blessing but after this bitcoin infinity day idea like within a week afterwards there's fractal comes up with this key thingy uh with the equation on it and it's it says everything divided by 21 million yeah the, the one that's on the cover there yeah so mm -hmm. so uh, uh and long story short he decided to uh we we riffed on ideas back and forth of what to do with that thing, and it turned out he made twenty one private keys, and there are only twenty one of those, and he gave out 
20 of them to people who had told him something about Bitcoin that he didn't know. Uh, so there was a bit of a contest on Twitter there. And he gave key number one out of 21 to me. Uh, and uh, naturally, <laughs> Yoni got a key and Guy Swan got a key. And uh, Michael Saylor got a key because he's one, uh, one of the people who bought the full node statue. And he auctioned out key number eight out of 21. And that sold for 1.05 Bitcoin. Uh, which at the time was around seventy thousand dollars. Wow! And I, I had my mother-in-law pick it up at the post office, and and uh, uh, <laughs> I asked her <laughs> afterwards, like, uh, "Can you guess the price of of this piece of art here that you just picked up?" Oh, a uh, hundred dollars. Uh, you can do better than that. A thousand dollars. A little bit higher. Four thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, it's worth like ten times your car. <laughs> So, so uh, yeah, it's a weird, weird story. And of course, uh, on Bitcoin Infinity Day, the, the, the concept, uh, Sailor retweeted it and uh, uh, Adam Back retweeted it and all sorts of big names started to make a thing out of Bitcoin Infinity Day. So it just exploded. So, so naturally this year uh, or last year, I tried to promote Bitcoin Infinity Day again and the, in the weeks preceding, August 21st and uh, nothing was happening. No one was retweeting my like, don't forget Bitcoin Infinity Day tweets. It's, uh, so, so I sort of gave up on it and like, oh, uh, people don't remember this stupid internet thing. It, it, it was a fad. It's going to go away. And then August 21st happens, of course. And I have a notification literally every fucking second of that. <laughs> Those 24 hours it's right. just exploding. <laughs> so, yeah. It's weird. That's amazing. It's it's funny how these things just like just snowballed for you from from you being offshore yeah. at a wind farm, <laughs> watching people dangling at a terrifying yeah. height from these blades, cleaning these blades, and you are maximizing your time because you go into that quite a lot in your book yeah. about time, and you 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 took hold of your time and produced something, and it's just become uh, this sort of huge um, event after event after event for you. Uh, I didn't produce that specific article until later, after I published Sovereignty and everything. But but it all started there. It, it's it all, a series of essays that yeah, you're yeah. writing. It's like a, a game of dominoes, like, uh, for sure. It's uh, one thing leads to another. And you never know, like, the only thing you can be sure of here in this life is that if, Nothing will happen if you don't try. <laughs> yeah. So like, if you do try, most probably nothing will happen either. <laughs> but it's but it may happen if you try. If you don't try, you can be pretty fucking sure it that it, nothing will happen. So so uh, so yeah, don't don't give up. Like <laughs> whatever. If you feel like doing something, just start doing it. Like. There are so many yeah. people on high horses telling you that you need this and that credential in order to do with this. But Bitcoin is so refreshingly devoid of all that. Uh, it's a pure meritocracy. People will only judge you for what right. you actually created or actually produced and nothing else. And so far, I'm doing pretty well. And I'm very happy about that because it sure has, you know, 
reinvigorated my my sense of self-esteem or whatever you can call it i'm i mean uh and, and it's just beautiful and very humbling uh to to be a part of uh, humbling and you know i'm i'm sort of in between <laughs> total imposter syndrome and i am the lizard king i can do anything and i don't know where on the scale i am <laughs> but but somewhere in between and you know <laughs> i imagine that fluctuates for you of, from of time to time right you need you need to you need you need to check yourself sometimes and sort of check your i pinch myself all the time i mean like... my next my next question was going to be has bitcoin changed you in any way and if so how but i think you've already answered that well question. it changed my life i i don't i i hope it hasn't changed me too much i think i'm still the same person right um uh i think a lot of the insights came before bitcoin about how to uh, uh f philosophical insights like, such as that which you can do without your own and, and stuff like that 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 sentence has been with me some way before bitcoin and and like i i'm sort of a i'm not a materialist i'm a minimalist uh <laughs> uh but I have a family, so. <laughs> uh, but but me myself, I, I I just need a toothbrush and a laptop and a guitar, and I'm I'm. That's basically it. Funny enough, the the brother of one uh, of my ex girlfriend, he was also named Knut. So uh, and he said the exact same thing. So <laughs> maybe it's a Swedish and like a name thing that all of you. <laughs> there, there aren't very many Swedes called Knut though. There's more of a more common in Norway than in Sweden the name. Oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> anyway, that's my story. <laughs> but in but in essence, Knut, writing. I mean, you were curious about Bitcoin and possibly digital currencies back in the days. Not not really. I I was a maxi from day one. I I lost I lost the okay. uh, the uh, I lost the fantastic amount of uh, eight dollars on shitcoins because I took ten dollars <laughs> and invested one dollar in each shitcoin, and uh, eight of them went down and two of them went up. Uh, so uh, I decided like this is not for me. I have no way of knowing which one is going which way, and the the the, the lion's share of them are of course going to crash. And how how could I even how could I pick the right one at the right time? This is a fool's game for sure. Like so, uh, I never really fell down that, and it never made sense to me. Like it, this is just a number on a screen. The only thing that makes it different than other numbers on screens is that it can't be duplicated. So duplicating it makes absolutely no sense or trying to make a 2.0 version makes no sense either. So that that proud proud to say that yeah, I had almost no shitcoin period at all. Yeah, isn't it funny how you always read about these billionaires calling out um, the greater fool theory mm -hmm. with like Bitcoin. And then if you read it, you're like, have you heard of like other coins? Have you heard of like the cryptocurrency blaze? Because those are, in my opinion, most of them are like the greater fool in terms that, as you mentioned, you're trying to pick out what Not works, most what of them, doesn't. all of them. Yeah, oh, absolutely True. all of them. The only essence I see sometimes if I speak to people in like third world countries, you know, they're saying like, we get Bitcoin, but we don't get access to dollars. So, yeah, so we they want to use this one. Coins. I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, I'll give you some time. You maybe yeah. come around. Stable coins may mm -hmm. be a means to, uh, a, a handicapped means to much greater end uh, at a very specific point in time, mm. which is right, right now and five for the next five years they may play a role 
But other than that, they're just the same shit as every other fiat shitcoin. Like shitcoins come in two main categories, the cryptocurrencies and the kleptocurrencies, which are the, the altcoins and the fiat currencies. But they're both shit. <laughs> so a stablecoin doesn't fix the shittiness of the of the central bank. No, and I mean, for most of the friends I talk to, like half a year later, they come back to like, yeah, I should have bought some sats back then. But anyway, <laughs> I'm yeah. happy that they get around, you know, that's the main thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but I wanted what I wanted to say, in an essence, writing led you to really discovering what lies underneath Bitcoin. Um, is that still a routine you're trying to keep up? So are you actively trying to write another book from the stories you've told? Yeah, I'm writing a book on praxeology at the moment. So I'm actively writing that. But all of my writing energy goes into that at the moment. Can we get a sneak peek as to what that um, is about? Um, well, obviously, it's about praxeology. Um, but do you want to explain a little bit about what that what that is for people that might not know that i i might have a, a section to quote uh, like a quote or something from it this is the first time anyone hears anything from this uh so let's see here if what i have yeah throughout the ages it has been difficult for humans to adopt a helicopter view of the age in which they live humans tend to think their world views their worldview is modern and for the most part correct Science itself can only progress when we dare to question its very foundation. The statement, an increase in the supply of good X will lead to a reduction of its market price if all other factors remain unchanged, does not require empirical evidence. We can conclude that the statement is true using deductive reasoning alone, and empirical, uh, empirical evidence can neither further prove nor disprove the claim. To understand human action, we must rid ourselves of, of all preconceived notions about how to prove scientific claims true or false. As long as the aggressor's propaganda machines are as powerful as they are today, with government-subsidized media outlets and at least 12 years of mandatory brainwashing in almost every country, changing people's minds is a daunting task. But if the pen is indeed mightier than the sword, Logical arguments are our only weapon. This author firmly believes that our species yearning for the truth will triumph and prevent us from destroying ourselves by denying it. So that's uh, a passage of the book. Wow, that's quite a lot to unpack, but also extremely fascinating. And the the, the concept of a helicopter view, so essentially zooming out and, and uh, observing things um, on a landscape scale rather than yeah. uh, what's in front of you driven by state propaganda and and the way things are sold to you um as a narrative by the state is that in essence part of the message that you're saying there yeah and it ties ties back to low time preference in in order to understand what's going on you'd sort of need a low time preference to to grasp things that's what that, i i think there's very much connected to time preference how how we think that problems are so immediate and dangerous right now and need to be fixed right away uh like <laughs> viruses and the climate disasters and terrorism and whatnot and if we had more of a long-term outlook on things and could be a little bit, bit more thoughtful about these things maybe we could come up with better plans on how to solve all the perceived problems instead of just panicking which like <laughs> mm. Greta Thunberg tells us to panic, but I think like 
what the hell good is that going to do? Like, what we need to do is not panic, like like in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like, the only thing you know is don't panic. Hey, everybody, this is Questioning Bitcoin here. I just want to steal your attention for a second from the episode. It won't take long, I promise. I hope everyone's enjoying the show. We certainly are. It's an interesting conversation this evening. We just wanted to mention the fact that so far, um, obviously, this is a new podcast. We are uh, we don't have any sponsors, but you can help us. If you really like our content, please follow us, subscribe, shill us on all the socials that you can get the noise out there for us. Um, you can follow us on all the platforms, particularly Fountain as well, uh, you, where you can clip uh, your favorite parts of the moments and just share the head out of it for us. That'd be fantastic. Next to that, it also helps to review our podcast, whether you listen in on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever it is. If you could give us a five-star review, obviously, uh, we want to go for the best, right? Uh, that'd be really helpful. And um, like Ian said, if you're on Fountain, the clips really really help us out it pushes the podcast as well and uh, just to remind you fountain is built on the lightning network so we also support a fantastic product built on bitcoin rails that's it for now thanks and we'll let you get back to the episode yeah absolutely and um obviously i think what this the state is is doing more and more and more so is keeping us on that hamster's wheel which you refer to in in your book uh, everything divided by 21 million and you talk about time preference quite a lot there's a whole chapter on on time in that book and um the state is continuing to infringe on our time and rob us of our time and in by doing so it prevents us from really deep thinking having the time to reflect on our own lives and how and how we can escape that machine and uh it's very hard to actually do good for for other people while you're still in that machine just feeding feeding the dragon uh um so yeah, um, and that that chapter on time is basically a condensed version of another great book called uh, "This Book Will Save You Time" by Misir Mahmoudov. If if you know that, that uh, criminally underrated book. Uh, that book goes deeper into how uh, the attention economy is is you know making us even more high time preference creatures by stealing our attention all the time. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm very much a victim of that <laughs> too. Uh, I don't, I don't like calling myself <laughs> a victim, but but I have fallen into those traps. Like, like, victim is the wrong word. I hate the word victim. Everyone's a fucking victim these days. The the thing is, uh, when I write, I usually like listen to a YouTube video and play a computer game simultaneously. That's your that's your, uh, your 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 mind palace moment yeah. of trying to. Actually... I need some distraction as well. But this was the same time, same thing when I was in in school and in the university. I I always used to scribble, and uh, uh, draw little doodles and and uh, cartoon figures, uh, to the extent that I had to to buy a new notebook just for doodling. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who said it, but uh, there's a famous quote saying you should let the mind wander and let it rest or something along those lines. Yeah, it's hard to let it rest, though. Uh, yeah. Mm. My mind is like a cacophony. Like if you if you listen to really weird music where everything is going on at once, you know, like 
Spike Jones or something. Uh, that's that's what that's like a soundtrack to my brain. There's too much going on all the time, and there's it's very hard to find a <laughs> find something in there. But but when I do and uh, and I manage to focus, then I can channel channel something, uh, and that's that's what I'm looking for in my writing, like to get into that what surfers call the green room, and uh, w where you can just be and focus on a specific task that's like honing in on something and just focusing that's uh it's a great feeling when you, when when you finally get there i think the soundtrack to my mind would be something pink floyd oh, yeah. or radiohead <laughs> radiohead in some way that that's that's what my mind i think yeah sounds like. i wish my mind sounded like that uh well it's a bit depressing maybe but <laughs> not very uplifting yeah very very melan very very melancholy yeah dark sarcasm <laughs> but is that a skill knut you would say you've always had or is that something which evolved with big Bitcoin, being able if once you get it to nail down focus and from what it heard, sounds like basically never leaving your room or the keyboard <laughs> uh, I, I've been better at managing it after finding Bitcoin but I've always been a creative creative person uh, it, I used to play a lot of music and uh, I, I was in a lot of bands uh, before the Bitcoin thing uh, I wrote songs all the time so so that's that that was my creative output back then uh but the you know this has, has forced me to focus in a on a whole another level and i've i've uh, realized that you know talking about these difficult subjects helps my writing and the other way around my writing helps me talk about these things um and that was also a journey, like going on interviews such as this one. Um, the first couple of interviews I, I did were uh, extremely embarrassing. I, I just couldn't get a word out. <laughs> uh, but you get used to all of it. And uh, it's good to challenge yourself, you know, and see how far you can take things. It's interesting because you, you a lot of, um, well, I, I suppose now you've completely escaped the, the fiat um mining um that a lot of people are still having to continue to exist within and i'm just wondering how by you having done that how that's changed your your um has it redefined what time is for you in any way now that you're in more of a bitcoin uh world than than the fiat yeah world? well <laughs> i haven't uh you know it was a tough decision because I I, I don't have the uh, the amount of Bitcoin savings needed to say fuck you to fiat forever, uh, so I still need to do stuff for a living and uh, try to earn an income. Uh, so I basically used uh, a part of my stack and uh, mostly just my a part of my fiat stack and you know whatever was left over from the old fiat job to uh to buy myself time in order to set up this this whole making a career out of this hobby thing um so but but now uh you know writing a book is a uh, or writing books is a very strange thing to do and a, a strange process because you have to uh people people ask me when when did you start writing the book 
like how the fuck would i know like when did i start thinking i i mean i, I started writing when i was <laughs> born i guess <laughs> yeah. like because it you, the actual typing letters into a keyboard that's that's a very very small part of the entire process and and that's the fast part like when when you when you've got it figured out in your head what you're going to write the actual writing goes fast and you can like scribble it out pretty pretty quickly uh so the hard part is figuring out what to write <laughs> uh so i spent a lot of time just walking around the area here and and uh thinking about stuff um yeah and this uh, just before i started writing this praxeology book like uh the other bitcoin projects i'm in they take up a bit of time and uh you know, a significant bit of time and the but they still it's not enough to feel like a full-time job uh so i had like sort of a inner dialogue dialogue about uh like what what am i doing here where, where am i going to focus my energy i like i need to do something uh and uh, one day i'm just like uh well i'm i'm an author like if if you're going to be an author be an author write something you asshole like and slap myself on the face and uh, on the cheek and uh started writing again <laughs> so like but but I think this uh, it would be hard to write more than one book a year, because like w- once you're done with a book, you don't feel like writing at all, <laughs> because you you do it very intensely for a short period of time, like a couple couple of months. I imagine it's quite exhausting. It actually. is exhausting because there's so many things to 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 uh, to juggle in your head at the same time, and the longer the book is, the the uh, the, the harder it is to keep it coherent and like, yeah. It's a difficult process. For me personally, whenever I try to write something down, my mind is running at 100 miles an hour and my my fingers are just sort of like... <laughs> and, bef- and before I get the sentence out, I'm, my mind's running off. and I, I can't slow my mind down enough to commit to, to writing something down. It is hard, but the best way... There's only one way to do it. It's just try it over and over and over again. Like just sit by a keyboard and... St- if you're going to be an author be an author <laughs> like it's there are no short shortcuts there are good tools like grammarly for instance that's a good tool and right and now nowadays i have a team of editors and proofreaders and stuff and designers and typesetters and whatnot and that's a that's a huge privilege and i'm very lucky to be in that situation so so that's another thing that you know sort of indirectly kicks myself in the balls uh because like you you have this opportunity to to do this stuff so so go ahead and do it and like why aren't you doing more of it you know how much how how appreciate the older uh, how how people appreciated the older stuff and what that led to and one thing led to another keep on doing it <laughs> like what else are you gonna do you're gonna sit there and play with your kids fuck that <laughs> <laughs> how old are your kids Knut? they're 11 and 9 okay uh, so they're old enough to yeah and I, I i love them very much <laughs> but they have no interest in playing with me anyway so like <laughs> do they have an interest do they have an interest in in bitcoin and uh, is that something that you yeah but um, um, uh, they have a slight interest in bitcoin and but i i don't want to be that parent that forces it upon them uh it, it has to come from mm-hmm. them 
And uh, yeah, but when they uh, they've interacted with other Bitcoiners on occasion, and maybe someone wanted to give them a tip and like, uh, what's your light? Ask ask my son what's your Lightning address, and he's like, oh, oh. and then he feels like obligated <laughs> to, to to know this stuff, and like so. So I, I like that kind of approach. Getting back to um one of your books, uh, I feel like if someone asks what kind of books have you read from Knut, someone is going to come up with everything divided by 21 million. And uh, there's actually a passage in there which I always have uh, very intense uh, discussions with like fellow Bitcoiners at like meetups. Um, yeah. Ian and I, we actually met at a London meetup in August. So All right. it quite evolved quite quickly into the podcast. And uh, one of the guys was like, if you have mm. Knut on, can you ask him in detail what he meant by element zero, how Bitcoin is element zero? And I was like, well, he kind of explains it in the book, but I'll ask him again yeah, in the podcast. There's a, ch- there's a chapter about it. <laughs> yeah, for such, yeah, for yeah, such a lazy yeah. person Read who wants to elaborate <laughs> on that. But could you maybe in a couple of sentences explain from you and how you feel Bitcoin is element zero? Oh, that's a, that's a big one to answer in a short way. But, but uh, let me give you yeah. a bunch of information about the, the chapter. The idea comes from a brilliant German guy called uh, Jörg Hemstorf. Uh, who had a brilliant talk at the Value of Bitcoin conference in 2020 online about uh, uh, a talk called The Last Money and how Bitcoin can be the last type of money we ever need. And he breaks it down so brilliantly into like how... uh, how everything in this universe is just ones and zeros basically because if uh, at the, the the fundamental particles when you go down to the quantum realm as they would say in the marvel cinematic universe uh everything is just um uh, information uh so so a, a a the smallest particles we, we can either measure their uh position or where they're going, but not both at once. And we can, uh, uh, and we can also we as soon as we measure them, they they decide on one state or another. So quarks and and photons and such. I'm I'm not a quantum physicist, so I I, I don't have this totally nailed down. But this is from from my understanding. Big disclaimers here, but they're basically in a a. Uh, a quibit is a state that is both a one and a zero at the same time. And each particle has a higher probability of becoming a, a zero or a one. But when we measure them, they're, they're either or. So they're yin and yang, true or false, one or zero. And that's all they are. Uh, uh, and the universe is made up of these tiniest things. Uh, and they can only exist in positions uh the 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 smallest length between them is called the Planck things uh, i'm i'm realizing that this answer is way too long already <laughs> no worries no worries go for it no do you know when when you ask when you ask that question joel how can he explain that in a couple of sentences let, let me fa- fast forward a bit because i think i lost a, a lot of your listeners already the point is that everything is information there are two elements on the periodic table that are that have a stable isotope. They mononucleic, I think the word is, like where there's only one stable isotope of the element, and they are uh, 
scarce in nature and uh, uh, they're hard to destroy and all sorts of properties that make them a good money. And one of them is gold and the other is another element uh, called... Uh, oh, oh, what's the other element? Uh, I don't remember the name of the other element, but it was <laughs> discovered much more recently than gold. Gold has been around for a long time. And gold emerged on the free market as money because it had all these properties. So it was very suitable as a, a, a medium of exchange and a store of value. The, the chapter in the book is called Alchemy uh, because alchemy, the alchemists of old, they tried to make gold from cheaper metals. So in, in a way, they, they tried to do what central banks are actually doing at this moment. They are making gold out of cheaper metals namely paper and digits on a screen, they are producing money without cost. Uh, so they're not really making gold, but they're making fool's gold. Uh, and the uh, a successful alchemist would have done the same thing if it would have defeated its own purpose, because it would, if it was cheap to make gold, the market would be flooded with gold, and then gold wouldn't be scarce anymore and thus lose its value. So, but but the element zero thing is approaching this problem from uh, from the other way. So we try to reverse engineer a um, a chemical element. So we try we, we start from what what properties would an element need to have to be damn near perfect money, and it would need it to be scarce, and it would need to be very light. Uh, so, so you could uh, transport it easily, and it would also need to be able to. There's something called e electronegativity, and uh, it, it needs to be able to sort of store electricity or or store energy, uh, and and it needs to be hard to destroy, and also it needs to have all these uh, strange properties that no no uh, element on the periodic table has. So what's the lightest element you can think of? Uh, well, that's no element at all. If we, if, we, if we can find just information that have, has all these other properties uh, that can store energy and, and it's hard to find and it's hard to destroy, uh, well, that could be the element itself. So it's just an informational element, which would mean that, uh, <laughs> yeah, so say that the um, if someone was to sacrifice a huge amount of energy and you could somehow turn that into a, a hash of a number, so so you found a proof of that this amount of energy had had been sacrificed, then that information would be the element. So the information about the element is the element, and this is what Bitcoin is. So like. And when I first heard this this idea expressed, I was literally mind blown by by the simplicity and the beauty of like shit. We can reverse engineer chemistry in order to suit our needs uh, and find something. Then, <coughs> sorry, if it works, would be the, the the perfect thing for for us to communicate value with one another, and that's what Bitcoin is. So Bitcoin is the informational element, the element without mass. Uh, it has a lot of other properties that proper elements have, but it doesn't have mass. So it can be teleported and communicated. 
and it's just beautiful. I had the same mind-blowing moment when I read it because um, it, it does make sense in the sense that everything does boil down to just at its core, it's just information down to the, the minute atoms, the neutrons, electrons that make up something. Um, you know, we, we are just information just by being in existence. You know, we're speaking through this computer, this technology, you know, all of, all of everything around us is just information. And, and, and the fact that Bitcoin is in existence, it's in some realm somewhere that we can actually take ownership of and use it as money. Therefore, it's also got to be of the same stuff as everything else yeah. is. Yeah. But it goes it goes deeper than that because it's when you own a bitcoin you don't when you have your private keys you don't only own your bitcoin but you possess them <laughs> and there's a difference there so like the the hats you're wearing I can be the owner of both those hats and I've just gave you the hats and I want them back at some point in time but you're in possession of the hats. And you're in different countries than I am, <laughs> or in a different country than I am. So even if I want them back, you can refuse to give them back. So you're in possession of them. But the knowing is owning part of, of Bitcoin is like when you, when you know your private key, you don't only own your Bitcoin, but you possess them. And, and you can go even deeper than that and, and realize that if if your head is the only place in which this information exists, so if you have your seed phrase or the location of your seed phrase in your head, then you are your Bitcoins. There's no distinction between you and the thing. That isn't a thing, but uh, an agreement <laughs> or something. So so you can actually be be your Bitcoins. You're the same entity. And and that is, yeah. Oh, oh, I can I can go on for twelve hours about this stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> like the when I get the question, what is Bitcoin nowadays? My my shortest and best best answer answer to date is it's an agreement between people on a fixed set of rules, and that's all it is. We just agree on a fixed set of rules, and when we do, we can engage in a game. And the the latest, uh, oh, you saw the latest video, right? The that I made with Yoni Appleberg. Uh, I make the chess analogy in that. Did you see the Element Zero video? Yes, yes, um, yes. I did, yeah, yeah. With with the animation. So it's the Element Zero one is pretty much just the chapter in the book animated, the animated version of it. But in the latest one, why Bitcoin is the greatest meme of all time. I make the chess analogy. So like if, if you know the rules of chess, you can play with any other chess player in the world. So you have a massive network of fun. So you can have fun with millions of people. If you choose to play chess with without rooks or without pawns or whatever, you can maybe play with a couple of people, but you don't have this giant network effect. So you can play chess cash with a, a board that's way too large with too few pieces on it. You can play chess theorem where the pieces where the rules change for every move. And you can play chess Nero where no one knows how many pieces there are or <laughs> what the game is really about. 
you can play all sorts of stupid chess rules that no one gives a crap about. But in order to to get the network effect of the game, you need to play by the rules that everyone has come to a consensus around what the rules really are. And the funny thing about chess is that even if like some international chess foundation or governance board decided to change the rules, most players wouldn't Im- implement the change. They like they couldn't just change it without having the players on their side. Uh, and Bitcoin is just that. It's nothing but that. It's just like the games, the the rules of chess. Uh, it's just that when you know chess, you can play chess with other people. When you know Bitcoin, you can do everything with other people. <laughs> it's the game of fucking everything. <laughs> because it sets a, a it's a set of rules with which we can interact with one another in any way possible. We can trade any good good or service for this little secret we have. And more than that, it changes us on so many fundamental levels. First of this, we have perfectly sound money. Thus, we have a lower time preference, so which makes us save more and consume less. But also, like what we're doing now, uh, uh, you want me as a guest because you want to have this conversation with me. And uh, it's good for your podcast to have me as a guest. I want to be on your podcast because it's a platform for me so I can spread my message to more people. So it's it's mutually mutually beneficial. beneficial. So we're engaged in a trade and we're not sending sats to one another at all. We're not exchanged a single set yet. (laughs) Uh, And we probably won't for a while. (laughs) Uh, For any foreseeable future anyway. But we're still trading and we're still using Bitcoin. We're using Bitcoin for our own purposes right now. Like we're taking advantage of the fact that Bitcoin exists. Bitcoin, the idea and Bitcoin, the meme. So we're using Bitcoin, albeit indirectly, but we're still using it. And the funny thing is, the more you think about it, as as we move into this hyper Bitcoinized world, the this incentive to because we like to help one another, because we know that if Bitcoiners succeed, Bitcoin succeeds and we're all Bitcoiners and we all want Bitcoin to succeed because then number go up and we become richer and we all like that <laughs> because it's swell to be rich, right? So, but this, this is a funny thing. This, this incentive to help one another with all of these projects, I don't see a time in the future where that goes away, that incentive. And the more people that come on board to Bitcoin... I mean, it's it's more like that incentive grows than than shrinks over time, which is weird because it means like, what does that mean when everyone's on a Bitcoin standard and we don't need to spread the message anymore? Well, we're still incentivized to help one. And why would we stop? <laughs> like, so we get into this world where everyone's just fucking awesome to one another all the time. And we don't spend a lot of money on, on the consumerist bullshit but we make long-term decisions and I just see a very much more beautiful world. And (laughs) the funny thing is when you think about it, Bitcoin is not money. It's not, it's just a piece of code. So it's just information and mathematics. So by running this mathematical experiment in the back of our heads, 
we unlock something within ourselves. And th this is the what I've been using in my talks and in that video as well. So, so the Beatles were right. Uh, all you need is love. They just hadn't found the equation for it yet. <laughs> like, but we, now we did. The equation is Satoshi's equation, which equals everything divided by 21 million. And it unlocks uh, a Bitcoin private key is literally a key to your heart. So it, it unlocks something within you that you had all along. You just didn't you just didn't have the tools to unlock that power that was in you already as a human being and but but to me it's completely mind-blowing what that can lead to in the future so big bitcoin bitcoin is love it and it's also fuck you money which and f and fucking is love many people claim it's not but it is um uh yeah, there's, <laughs> there, there's, there's just too much to this. It's just, yeah, and I, I never get tired of talking about it. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> that that's one of the nor issues. Nor do we, nor do we. Yeah, but that's one of the issues you see. If I, I have a lot of friends in mainstream media and especially in finance media, and they're always like, "Okay, try to explain it to me," and I'm like, "I can't," because like you guys are mostly so filled with either it is hate. It is, you know, chasing the newest clickbait title. Yeah, envy. Um, yeah, deciding which which weapon you send to what part of the world. I'm like, how the fuck are we on the same basis? Like, you know, take a yeah. chill pill and then we can start with the basics of it all. Um, which is also why you can't explain it in like an hour. We're close to, we're over an hour now. Um, and it takes those 100,000, 10,000 hours. Yeah, you need to do the 10,000 hours in order to, but... Life on the other side is so much better. And like, when you think about it, when you think about how, how Bitcoin, the protocol upgrades, some guy sends in a Bitcoin up, uh, uh, improvement proposal, a BIP. And if the BIP is good enough, there's a, like, you vote with your node on whether to run the code or not. And it's not really a vote either. It's it's just what you decide Bitcoin is to you. And uh, usually the, the majority wins because because of the just like chess, if the majority doesn't win, it's probably crap <laughs> uh, and a shit coin. So so the majority needs to win, which means that the upgrade needs to be really fucking good in order for everyone to agree that it's a good idea to upgrade the protocol. And and this gets harder and harder over time as the network grows because you know convincing a, a million people is a, a hell of a lot harder than convincing 10,000 which means that bitcoin either stays the same way that it is right now which is fucking awesome or it becomes even better it it can't get worse it can only get better <laughs> so so <laughs> that that's that's the only way to interpret that like if everyone agrees that it was was a good idea what other definition of a good idea do you have like that's the perfect like that's the bulletproof good idea yeah and i mean stuff like the block size wars showed it if there are a group of people who want different things they can bugger off and do their own shit yeah and they did and it was mm. obviously a worse idea they did like <laughs> uh, and the <laughs> It, but, but this is it, it has to it has to be voluntary and it has to work this way in order to function at all 
We, we, but as I said, it's just an agreement. We just we found a way to agree on a fixed set of rules and to agree on a system that makes them impervious to change unless the change is better for absolutely everyone. And that is, which means that Bitcoin can only get better over time. But here's the kicker. Since Bitcoin exists and everyone in the world can voluntarily hop onto the network and be a part of it, humanity can only get better from this point on. So, so the future is not dystopian CBDC's constant stomping boot on the face, everyone in chains. Like, it's not that. It's bright as fuck because we have Bitcoin. And Bitcoin can only get better. So by proxy, humanity can only get better. So not only is Bitcoin love, Bitcoin is morality as well. Yeah. And it's, and it's yeah. human progress. Salvation, for lack of a better word. And that's coming from a fucking hardcore atheist. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Um, um, it's funny you say that being an atheist is as well, because last year I, um, I went for uh, being a middle-aged man now, I went for a little bit of an existential crisis and I had this sudden moment of actually f fearing mm -hmm. my own death. So, so much so that it triggered off a series of panic attacks and it took me quite a long time to unpack the whole existential crisis. And I got to a place in my mind of, of trying to reflect on, 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 my death and time that I've got left, which is an mm -hmm. unknown factor. Um, and what I came to, um, a place of comfort for me, um, is obviously because I don't believe in an afterlife or the promise of an afterlife, which I think, you know, without dis disrespecting people's religion and their beliefs, I think that the, the promise of an afterlife is, um, something which is used to control us in some way but i'm open to having that discussion with people uh, and i'm open to having that discussion with people but for me um with with my belief that there's nothing beyond my death um is a scary thought and i came to um realize that you know what even beyond my death when i turn into dust i'm still going to exist in some way in in the universe you know there's going to be particles and all the particles of me are going to be spread across the universe and when i finally came to realizing that and finding comfort in that and then reading uh -huh. your book about uh, ask time you about and the alchemy yeah, and about morality yeah you, you it, read the chapter it, about afterlife and yeah being existential about, about inflation. afterlife and and it dilutes the the value of time um and and religion and and the promise of an afterlife to try to control the population in some way to do something on behalf of the state basically sacrifice their own life for, for the their the church war is basically the the existential central bank so they can <laughs> mm -hmm. print the print fake life mm. uh and thereby diluting the value of the life you actually have on this earth so so that's uh that's how yeah. i view that uh, and the that's the comparison I draw in the book. Like, if it, imagine that you were uh, immortal and indestructible, then nothing would be of value to you, and you wouldn't ever act, because the the scarcity of your time on this earth is you've just become omnipotent. Yeah, which means that you don't act. An omnip an, an omnipotent being has no incentives. It it cannot act because there's no reason for it to do so. So and and the, that just to me that proves that 
scarcity brings value like it's and you can't you can try to dilute that and come up with all sorts of other stories of uh, whether it be fake money or fake life doesn't matter uh the value is in the scarcity and bitcoin is the perfect reflection of that the scarcity of human life yeah now that's really brought that into focus for me and i mean it also incentivizes um this, these are my fun talks with like friends and some family members that i take it with the monetary example they don't want something deflationary because like oh we've been used to inflation we want mm -hmm. our money to disappear every year by like five percent mm -hmm. um because someone told us that was a good thing yeah uh, an old fucker in a suit somewhere in america or mm -hmm. an old bitch at the ecb um depending how you look at it but then at the same time they're scared of death i'm like hang on a minute if something devalues by let's say five percent every year after mm. a while, there's nothing more left there. So eventually it dies, right? Or there's another incentive to keep it yeah. alive. But it just keeps bleeding out at the end of the day. Yeah, Isn't that controversial? And they're always like, oh, hang on a minute. It is actually. And that's for my yeah, yeah. personal experience, the easiest way to step into the orange pilling. That's a very good point. Like death, death is a uh, very comforti comforting thought to, uh, to inflationists. <laughs> like yeah. it should be at least because it's the only thing stopping the inflation and that's a full stop there will be no more inflation for you after this point because you're fucking die <laughs> but if, if if your life goes on for a thousand years you can you can bet your currency won't exist like yeah and i mean historically speaking every time uh one of the superpowers died or a currency flat out was evaporated you saw increases in monetary inflationary policies just because they knew okay like the old empire fucked up we're gonna make this that much more difficult or that much more harder for them to in the future not die but eventually all of them die out because guess what they play by the same stupid rule book yeah and they change the rule book like it doesn't matter what your constitution says if some later generation comes along and and changes it like uh you know the the magna carta is uh, as valid a document as the american constitution and they were both very very good constitutions the the constitution for the uh, the weimar republic or the weimar republic was very sound uh, if you read that it's just mind-blowingly sounds swell like there's there's freedoms and like uh there the people are free to do whatever they want and there's just a basic social security layer and like everything looks swell but it didn't last because inflation happened uh and that's that kills everything that that force the the force of money is stronger than the force of politics so that those incentives are stronger and that's why the, every everyone in politics eventually will get corrupted just takes time in some places and I think right now uh, the in Europe, like the East Europeans, they they've since it wasn't that long ago that the Soviet Union collapsed. Like most most of the kids growing up there and that that are in like the twenties or thirties now, they have parents that lived through that. Uh, so so they know uh, what what how bad 
statism can be uh, in a way that we in the West have long since forgotten uh, and thus we fall for therefore we fall for all this uh, scaremongering narratives much more easily than the people in the old East Bloc. True. You've been you've, you've been to the conference in Bulgaria as well, have you, Knut? Yeah, yeah. I was in Bulgaria for the first time this fall and I loved it. Uh, a very nice guy called Plamen Andonov invited me to Bulgaria to speak at a, a conference called the Crypto Revolution, which is being rebranded to the Bitcoin Revolution after we were there. There is a total maxim. He was... Uh, there also and this the name was more to lure more people in it's and uh we spent four days in a bus driving around bulgaria uh it was me and jeff booth greg foss pierre corbin uh nico gilch uh and uh, natalie brunel and a couple of others um drove around bulgaria for four four days and just saw beautiful places uh, uh, magic and and the weather was perfect all the time and yeah we had a really nice tour guide there that showed us everything and yeah just a swell time nice because I'm only bringing it up because my best friend is from Bulgaria and his wife oh. is from Slovakia um, and they got Bitcoin in like 2012 and 2011 I think one got in a bit earlier than the other and uh, they, they, I think they orange pit like their whole village in both of the countries. But it, he said it was the easiest experience ever because the people, Brilliant. the older people especially, realized it. And the younger yeah. ones were like, oh, yeah, we can do whatever we want with a new standard uh, instead of relying on whatever mm. the EU says or whoever is in charge. So um, it, it's for any European, because we are UK based, it's not far for Central Europe, um, make sure to visit East Europe as well. Uh, BTC Prague, you mentioned it before, and a couple of them are going yeah. there. Um, those are great venues to talk to uh, Bitcoiners who really seen it all. Pr Prague is relatively undestroyed. Like Sofia, Bulgaria, there's so many remnants of old com the, the communist era there. And it, 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 the, the town is still very ugly because of that. Like there are these huge blocks uh, of the UFO buildings, ugly, <laughs> ugly houses. Oh, the UFO building. We went to see that too, and like the 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 history is so tragic there, and and you can really see what collectivism can do to to a nation, and it's it's pretty fucking sad. Knut, is there anything we have forgot to mention you'd like to add to the discussion, or uh, a tip you would have to, want to give out for those still on the struggle who listen in and going in full Bitcoin? Huh. It's a good question. <laughs> well, I, I could do my old shilling routine. I think I already did that in the beginning, though. You can go to... We we'll have it linked anyway. No, shill away. You, you can go to bitcoinbook.shop. Uh, that will redirect you to the consensus network. That's consensus with a K, uh, where all my books are published nowadays. And uh, they have a lot of translations for all the Bitcoin stuff and uh, are expanding into other close subjects closely related to bitcoin so a lot of mises institute's books with, will be there and, and so on and so forth um and check out emerald app um and the orange pill app and my site knutsvanum.com uh, that's where i sell all my merch and and shit like that uh and you'll find my books there too and yeah I'm managing the website myself, so I'm really bad at updating it, but <laughs> still, the stuff is there. 
<laughs> Perfect. We'll have everything linked. Long, long gone are the days. Long gone are the days of the Commodore sixty fours and yeah. the Spectrum ZX. Canute. This is the information age now. We, we've got to get into it. I know. It I know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it. The good part about that is like these these things, like these Zoom calls and whatnot. That in combination with Bitcoin and social networks is so fucking powerful when you think about it, because you can get to know, you can contact anyone in the world. And on you can connect on levels that was that simply wouldn't have been possible just five years ago. I mean, Zoom was awful before all the lockdowns. It sort of forced that technology to develop faster. It's really good now. I mean, get to know other Bitcoiners. That's a very that's a uh, the best tip I have, I guess, because it's it's about us. Like we're the ones we're that's like. Chess players should get to know other chess players. That's the same logic. Uh, we're the ones that need to need to do this, and we're the ones that need to orange build everyone else, and we're we're the ones that need to start building stuff and selling stuff for Bitcoin, and and you know, embracing this wholeheartedly. Yeah, and the great thing is you don't have to be in it for like ten years or two months. Uh, the minute you join, everyone knows you're on the same board and, again, play by the same consensus. So that's the beauty of it all. And uh, whenever you go to a Bitcoin conference and meet other Bitcoiners or go to a meetup, you know that you're above a certain intellectual threshold and you can start the conversation at a much more interesting place than just talking about the fucking weather. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I put a tweet out the other day. I, I wish I had the opportunity to MRI scan my brain before Bitcoin and now and <laughs> just to see if there's any it difference. would be orange <laughs> <laughs> it would be orange <laughs> Knut, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on thank you for being so vulnerable and honest and and sharing your rabbit hole story with us um and thank you for giving us a sneak peek at your upcoming um writings it's much appreciated and it's uh, given us quite a lot to think about um thank you once again thanks a lot for having me on guys uh yeah and good luck with everything. Thank you. Keep on fighting the good fight. Thank you. Live long and prosper. <laughs>